even the Dallas police when they, they when they killed this uh, reported shooter recently that was uh, the reported a cop killer. Mm -hmm. uh, they weren't in the active shootout and they were talking with them and they they used a uh, a robot, kind mm -hmm. of like a drone. They used right. a robot and they drove it up to him and, and blew him up. Wow. Uh, so, you know, these are issues of the militarization of police that uh, that puts in the mind of police officers that when they are, are driving around in military vehicles and they've been trained in military tactics, that they're treating the American people almost as if, almost as if they are uh, occupying certain communities mm -hmm. or uh, acting like occupational forces when it comes to certain events that uh, take place in our society. Right. So when I was growing up, what I can remember, and I'm sure there was more, but what I distinctly remember were two major incidents of police brutality, and that was Sean Bell and Amadou Diallo. And those were the two big incidents. Both were shot multiple times. I believe it was Amadou Diallo or Sean Bell. I may be getting them mixed up. That was shot 41 times or something like that. And both, I believe, were unarmed, but of course the police thought they saw them with a gun. I remember uh, Amadou Diallo, he had either it was his keys or a candy bar or something like that, and the police claimed that they thought he had a gun. And so even then as a young person, I was probably 12 or 13 then, I definitely had a sense that there was definitely an injustice towards black people when it came to police brutality, when it just came to justice in general. But at the same time, these were the two major incidents of police brutality in my youth. Whereas in our times, it seems like it's happening every week. Sometimes it seems like every day. So do you think there's been an escalation in police brutality? Or is it simply the times we live in with social media and, and videos that we're seeing it more? I think it's a combination of the two. Uh, the criminal justice system, which we have now in sheriff departments, which morphed into police forces starting in 1865, which mm -hmm. kind of like coincides with uh, the, the Civil War and going to Reconstruction period. Mm -hmm. There's always been the issue of police brutality uh, of, of African Americans, people who have beatings or killing, so it's nothing new. Mm -hmm. And these events have always been going on, going on of beatings and killings uh, from, you know, going into the, the 90s of uh, Rodney King, Malice yeah. Green, Ahmadou Diallo and, mm -hmm. in New York and Sean Bell, and, and a host of others. Mm -hmm. um, and there are too many of the names. So these have mm -hmm. always been going on. And I, I do believe that uh, citizen journalism, uh, smartphones, mm -hmm. uh, Periscope and the like, uh, have made these more accessible to the broader American public. But it is also true that if we go back to, uh, let's go back in time 50 years, through 1966 in the day, uh, at least reported there are more extrajudicial shootings mm. of black people in 2016 than in 1966. Uh, mm. It is wow. true that mass incarceration Mm -hmm. African-Americans is worse now in 2016 than in 1966. So it, it, it begs the question that when it comes to law enforcement and black people, uh, are we really any better off now than we were at the time of the civil rights movement? And I'm of the right. opinion that in a number of different uh, areas, uh, not just police brutality and mass incarceration, but in terms of the the income gap not being close between black and white. Mm -hmm. um, we talk about less black businesses uh, being owned per capita and, and gross numbers, uh, less black farms per capita and gross numbers. A number of factors. I actually believe that black America is worse off now in 2016 than we were in 1966 in the, mm -hmm. the uptick in, in shootings. Uh, and as well as mass incarceration are, are, are signs uh, to, to me.
Mm-hmm. What I, I, I tend to agree, and in some ways I feel as though, at least mentally almost, one of the worst things to happen to us as black people is that we thought that we were free from, from slavery, that we were all told we are now free, we're not slaves anymore. And so we kind of, I think, adopted the American way of individualism, of if we just work hard enough, then we will get to the promised land kind of idea. And we've forgotten, even, and even post-slavery when there was Jim Crow, we still had this very clear sign that we were not completely free and so we kind of knew we had to work together and and work not always and not even necessarily hard but like work almost outside of the system so that there were so many black owned banks and stores and in schools and all of that more than uh 50 60 years ago than there are now because of this sense that we're definitely not free Whereas in our times, I, I think, and, and I want to know if you agree, we have token black people like Oprah Winfrey and President Barack Obama and, of course, all the rappers and entertainers who make it seem like if we just work hard enough, we can get to this same level. Whereas maybe, maybe if we had a more clear sense, maybe if, like what you're saying, we were more... Uh, aware of how much uh, the prison system is affecting us and taking away our rights, how much we don't own. Maybe if we were more aware of that, we would somehow be able to group together and work outside of the system and be almost more (laughs) successful if we were a bit more aware of how, um, just sort of how bad our circumstances are now and we didn't have this kind of illusion of freedom. I mean, I agree with you 100%, and I think that as black people um, or activists and our intellectuals, we really have to uh, try to push our emotions aside and mm. do a real critical analysis of our state and, um, you know, what we are doing. Um, I'm, and I've been involved in many marches and protests, mm-hmm. but, you know, and if people want to do that, uh, go ahead, but... I, I know if, I know a few things for, for sure. One is that uh, racism and white supremacy cannot be legislated away, and the laws mm-hmm. that we've had, uh, the, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, uh, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, uh, affirmative action laws, none of those things uh, helped empower the masses of black people. Right. Uh, since those things have been in effect uh, about 50 years, so that and that's and we can look at empirical data mm-hmm. um, and to, to verify that. So even those marches that we did to get certain laws passed, uh, we were uh, and we continue to look for relief, and we're marching mm-hmm. to seek some sort of freedom, justice, and equality in, in a system that is not only structurally designed. Uh, to disempower us, but then, you know, uh, I believe that the the energy that we've been using is somewhat misplaced, mm-hmm. where we should be spending more time instead of marching, trying to get more legislation, or trying to get people to accept us that we have to do something for ourselves. And mm-hmm. despite the issues of of creed that I disagree with, I think it's the best model. It's ever been presented to black America uh, and doing something for ourselves and solution to our problem was the solution that was presented by Elijah Muhammad, the nation of Islam. I think, mm-hmm. I think we need to sit back and analyze and revisit a lot of what he talked while fusing in, you know, the spiritual purification and spirituality uh, into that, uh, into many of those uh the objectives and the and, and a lot of the program and discipline and chivalry that uh, he was trying to instill in our people for us to do something for ourselves. Right. Do you think that now that and I don't want to present a narrative that 
black Muslims were somehow all nation of Islam and then we all moved to Sunni Islam. Of course, that's not the case. But at least the face of being a black Muslim was to be in the nation of Islam and then it became uh, being a Sunni Muslim. That was at least the face of it. And so what I kind of wonder is, I don't know if you were ever in the nation of Islam, but what I wonder is that does Sunni Islam have something unique to bring to this movement? Uh, and I agree with what you said, that we need to bring some of the principles from the nation of Islam. But I also wonder, do we have something unique from Sunni Islam that we can look to? And uh, before you answer, I just want to add on also, because this is something that I've kind of thought about and, and don't exactly have an answer. Of course, we have the Prophet who did face oppression by his people and in no, in no way, shape or form um, am I downplaying that. But at the same time, the Prophet this is within his lifetime that he faced oppression from his people for a period of time for specific reasons and then he was able to overcome them. Whereas with black people, we've been facing this oppression for hundreds of years since we got to America. So do you feel there's anything specific that we can take from Islam? Or is it more of just generally wanting to, of course, have the right Akita and then taking from the nation of Islam those principles they had for uh, black growth and black unity and that sort of thing? Well, we have definitely the overall moral and ethical uh, framework of the of the Quran and the Sunnah that we should uh, refer to, but you're also very correct that the issues that the Prophet faced in the companions uh, have a type of different social political reality than us today because he came from the most uh, aristocratic tribe amongst the Arabs in the Hijaz, mm. and you know he had a level of social capital being amongst the Beni Hashem that, uh, as of as of being from a, uh, a privileged class within the Arabian Peninsula, where we as black people are seen as we are, we are the antithesis of privilege mm. in this society. So. Uh, all of it is not 100% uh, analogous in terms of what he led in, in in his movement. Though it was a multicultural movement in the Hijaz, but there are some there are some differences. But we still can learn some things from the Sira. But it is my opinion that um, within traditional Islam, that we've gone to uh, sense. The, the the ending or the, the uh, of what many people call the first resurrection and the departure of, of Elijah Muhammad in 1975, the passing of Elijah Muhammad, that, that uh, many of those things that were good for us, that we basically threw the baby out with the bathwater, a lot of those things. And uh, many African-Americans who are Muslims became uh, apolitical, Mm -hmm. uh, we stopped right. addressing the needs of, of, of black people and what was going on in, in, in our communities. We stopped having social political commentary, and we began to uh, engage ourselves in, in debates uh, or uh, about things that were outside of our particular reality mm -hmm. out of fear of being labeled as nationalists. So, so everyone yeah. else could have wealth. Uh, everyone else could talk about their issues from the Muslim world, be it in, in, in Pakistan or Egypt, and those considered to be acceptable, uh, acceptable al or acceptable uh, talks of nationalism. Mm -hmm. But uh, we shied away from it and even had people, you know, accuse us that we talked about programs and doing something for ourselves in the confines of blackness or as Warthi Muhammad Rahim Allah at one mm -hmm. point in time tried to, to say, uh, call us Bilalians, mm -hmm. uh, we didn't, uh, we, we drifted away from that. So I think that a lot of the program of the Nation of Islam 
uh, the discipline of the FOI, the chivalry that it was brought, mm -hmm. uh, the, the dignity that was brought in MGT of, uh, of, of educating women, but also, you know, instilling in women a type of strong femininity. You can be a strong woman, but still not <laughs> try to be a man, which mm -hmm. is a problem that we have right. uh, today in our community. Uh, and, and, and the sense of, of, of of eating clean and good, doing mm -hmm. something for yourself, community policing in which you mm -hmm. depend on yourself to, to, to keep your own members straight and to actually patrol your own community instead of relying on police, the mm -hmm. community policing model. And they had, uh, you know, your grocery, your barbershop. Uh, they, you know, they had farms in which they were growing, uh, uh, beans, you know, even the cultural expression as a food expression of creating the bean pie and bean soup, mm -hmm. like it, it instilled a type of dignity in us. And I think that as Muslims who say that we follow traditional Islam, mm -hmm. uh, we, we're, we're, we're everywhere and we complain about the anti-black racism that comes from non-black Muslims in, in the American Muslim community. But right. uh, I think more so the question becomes, what are we doing and building for ourselves that we can represent ourselves and our particular interests mm -hmm. instead of just complaining about the broader society or even how uh, Arabs or South Asians aren't supporting us as a way, uh, in a way that we would, ex we think they support us when mm -hmm. we're not even doing for ourselves uh, what we should be doing for ourselves. Right, and I think that even though the idea of sort of respectability politics, as they call it, can be a dangerous one because obviously we've seen that no matter how respectable you are as a black person, you can still face racism. I do think that there is there is still something to it, and this is something that I think we've forgotten from Malcolm X, the idea of having your own and that once you have if you if you have your own if you're working with your own people if you have some kind of economics if you have um a kind of unity that is powerful then it does bring a certain level of respect it's not a, a bulletproof vest so to speak but it does bring a certain level of respect and i think that for some reason as black muslims then we have lost that and it even it can go it can go as simple as just being in a muslim gathering and people are talking about different quote-unquote muslim things and you're just not represented and almost feeling like you can't represent that so for example i'm thinking of a small example like um muslim and it can be a speaker or whatever talking about oh parents are always pressuring their kids to be doctors and lawyers <laughs> And you're in the audience as a black Muslim feeling like, okay, this doesn't relate to me. But then at the same time feeling like bringing up your cultural issues is somehow anti-Islam. That's, that's correct. And this goes back to the analysis about, and you mentioned about uh, the history of America. Uh, and then we really have to investigate and think like, are we really free from, from slavery? And I mean, by what Dr. Naeem Akbar wrote about, about the psychological change of slavery. We have an issue amongst us that's different from the Arab, and you mentioned, you know, those is that issue about, well, in some circles, like, there's an expectation about children being doctors or engineers. They have an issue more so of, of tribalism or a type of nationalism that can sometimes go too far, the type of asabiya in the days that predate Islam of sticking to one's group and even supporting one's own group even when they're wrong, that's blameworthy asabiya. But when it comes to, to us, we don't even have a healthy type of asabiya. What I mean is because of the, the, the situation of slavery in which we were disconnected from our tribes, uh, we were depicted from our nations, we were uh, taught to view ourselves uh, systematically as inferior. Right. 
we don't have a type of healthy nationalism. So mm. we are literally, as African Americans, we're literally a new people or a new tribe. Mm. And uh, as other groups have something natural in them that they organize and support each other and do something for, for themselves, we don't have that same type of natural inclination to build uh, institutions to to have structures and to actually uh, support each other. As a matter of fact, I see the tendency that we can even tend to tear each other down and yeah. even be uh, more critical of ourselves than if someone uh, outside of us, even who's a Muslim, comes to talk to us about the deen or talk to us about certain mm. uh, uh, goals or certain things that we tend to even give those leaders more authority or end right. up being more curt or more judgmental with our own leaders. And I've experienced that uh, myself on on a number of cases where I've given the mm. rules or given khutub and I've said something on the member, and the next thing you know, a, a sheikh who comes in, I guess, who's from Syria or even mm. from West Africa will get on the member and say almost the exact same thing, mm. and where I'm met with opposition, or others like, like, like Ustad Abdullah from Zaytuna mm-hmm. College, for instance, will say the exact same thing. We say the same thing, but when someone who doesn't look like us will be the member, and maybe not even as qualified, Right. And we'll say some of the same things, then we'll eat up and we accept it. No, mashallah, did you hear what that alim said? Did you hear what that sheikh said? Mashallah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we have a problem that we have to deal with in a systematic way, and it takes me back to the nation. The nation actually had a program of instilling self-love and reliance upon self. And we know that, obviously, we would, you know, sift through the... Akita uh, issues because mm-hmm. we know that you know white people are not inherently born you know devils and mm-hmm. you know the, the the whole mythology of Father Yakub obviously we 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 don't embrace that those mm-hmm. types of things but we we need something to build up our psyches and promote a type of healthy uh, asabia uh, healthy to asab amongst us. Mm-hmm. So I wanna move uh, just a bit to more of the broader picture because obviously with all of this police brutality happening that a lot of people are rising up a lot of black people as as the saying goes a lot of black people are waking up um and so i know that you mentioned two things and and i hope you can discuss both that you I forget what exactly you said about Black Lives Matter, but you said you had some disagreements with them or you didn't agree with everything about them. So I do, I want you to comment on that. And then also I know that you recently, like I have watched the Umar Johnson interview on The Breakfast Club and he was talking about a lot of black issues, including police brutality. Where do you see your differences with them? Um, And do they particularly come from being Muslim, that you have differences with them? Are they ideological differences? Or what do you kind of see, what do you feel is your critique of these movements and what we maybe as black Muslims should not take or should not get on the bandwagon of some of these sort of black conscious or the Black Lives Matter movement? Well, good. Uh, I'm glad you asked that. You know, in the Quran, says that, you know, that there should not be the raising of voices that mention sinful matters except those who have been wronged or those who have been oppressed. Mm-hmm. So we we are given permission by God to raise our, or I should say to speak out mm-hmm. when there's injustice or when things are foul. Uh, but uh, as that verse uh, gives permission for one to speak about injustice, there is a particular adab that the Qur'an calls us to and is exemplified in, in the seerah of Habibullah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And so when we're talking about Black Lives Matter, uh, the initial mantra of Black Lives Matter, centering the importance of black life, 
that took off after Trayvon Martin was murdered by George Zimmerman, uh, I believe it's noble and trying to center black life. When it comes to the, the actual 501c3 nonprofit organization of Black Lives Matter, mm. uh, I don't necessarily agree with, 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 with all of their tactics. And again, it goes back to my philosophical questioning of, of, of marching, and yes, you know, we want to bring attention to injustices, but like, what is the actual goal of this marching? Like, what is, mm. like, what is the actual benefit of, of, of saying you want to make other people uncomfortable and just blocking off a highway mm. uh, where uh, people who are actual uh, against people uh, police uh, brutality, including other people of color, uh, are end up disrupted and have places to go where emergency vehicles sometimes can't even go through. Like, I question the wisdom of that. Mm. Uh, I don't think that we have uh, permission uh, in the Sharia to uh, to get up in, in law enforcement officers' faces and yell and to cuss at them and call people names. I think that is outside of a prophetic adab and Soto Hujirat uh, clearly sp speaks about this. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that's some of the problems I have with Black Lives Matter. Now, what Dr. Omar Johnson mentioned uh, relating to Black Lives Matter, and this is a touchy subject for some people, but this organization and, and a couple of others, and I'm part of the, the nonprofit world, I mm. know who funds some of these organizations, right? Okay. Black Lives Matter is not an organization that gets uh, its funding from grassroots. It gets its funding mm. from, uh, from foundations, and these foundations have a particular agenda. Mm -hmm. And I, to get back to the nation, that I don't think that there's anything that can be transformational for black people that is not led and funded by black people. Mm. Uh, I don't think George Soros' organization, Open Society Foundation, is going to lead, or any other of these foundations that's going to lead us into black liberation. That's something we have to do for ourselves. Okay. And then these uh, these foundations also have an agenda that's been picked been picked up by Black Lives Matter, where they've made their definition of homophobia or transphobia as interlinked or interconnected with black suffering and police brutality. Mm -hmm. And okay. you know, I take uh, big, uh, I take grave exception to that, or I take a serious exception to that, right. of those issues being uh, weaving together. And Dr. Umar Johnson, not just from The Breakfast Club, but other mm -hmm. videos, yeah. he's spoken to that as well. And uh, it's one thing to work with people who are queer uh, in a movement where they're working towards a goal and, or that, 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 that's what they say their identity is, but you're working towards a particular goal and that's it, uh, right. that one particular goal. But when those individuals uh, overtly and openly, uh, as part of their program, mm -hmm. as part of their platform, uh, which and they said this is part of their platform, Black Lives Matter last year in Cleveland, mm. is that they are linking in these issues together, and that makes me question, uh, should I work directly with these organizations when mm. this is when when it is explicitly stated as part of their platform to advance something or link something together, which I think is what which is not what I think, which I know from my revelation is mm -hmm. Mukov. Mm -hmm. Right, so this this is the problem, or this is the issue. Uh, as far as uh, Dr. Um, Umar uh, Johnson, and you were saying, like, what do uh, I, I I I disagree with him uh, with as far as his 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 rhetoric or what he's talking about? Um, you know, I think that we also do have to be we have to be uh, honest in terms of all of what is holding black America back. And, mm -hmm. you know, although I, I can appreciate some of his uh, rhetoric as far as, like, you know, we need to do something for ourselves and 
how America is inherently racist. Mm-hmm. I do think that there are some some merits in certain areas or levels that we can uh, do change in the political process, especially uh, at, at the local levels. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it, it's the case that we think that America cannot be uh, uh, in our areas of law enforcement or if we can't influence things even on local levels regarding our schools and it begs, you know, like, why are we even here? Like, the, if that's the case, should the plan be a mass exodus of black people to go to Ghana or go to mm. Liberia or Gambia? Like, like, right. like why, why are we here? If things are so stacked up against us that we feel like we can't actually make uh, change and even transformation in the local level, in our local governments, then... My question is, why are we here? And, mm. you know, why is it Dr. Umar, instead of saying, let's build a school here, and then, you know, why is it he uh, organizing us, all of us, to go back to Africa somewhere? Okay. So with, with that, um, do you believe that as black Muslims we should be involved in, in these movements? I know you said already with the Black Lives Matter movement, them linking themselves to... I suppose, and um, fighting against any sort of anti-LGBT stuff, um, then do, should we still try and join these movements on some level, whether it's the Black Consciousness Movement under someone like Omar Johnson, or on some level with the Black Lives Matter movement, Um, Or do we need to create our own movement? And if we were to create our own movement, what would that look like? Well, you know, I'm not saying that we can't march with other people or even like Black Lives Matter. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying that we need to understand uh, our parameters regarding ADEB and how far we're going to get involved and not buy into, let's say, all of the methods or, or, or their entire agenda. But mm-hmm. uh, be, beyond that, and, and work with other people, we're supposed to be leaders, right? Mm-hmm. That you are the best nation brought from the people. So if we are, are trying to live that reality, then we should be organizing ourselves and that we are to be leaders, and that we have an agenda, and we organize things, and we're calling people towards something that's better, that's more prophetic, instead of us just rushing to want to jump into everyone else's movement. And mm-hmm. again, you know, we can say what we want to say about Minister Louis Farrakhan, but when he had that Million Man March, where he had over one million mm-hmm. um, to D.C. 20 years ago, he invited other people, but he was the main leader, and he set the program. Right. And although we may consider his a Peter heterodox, he, he as a, he as a as a as seen as a Muslim by black community, people rallied behind him because he had a program. Even at the Justice or Else march that happened uh, earlier this year, uh, it was over two hundred and seventy-five thousand people that went to that. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're still talking about uh, a march that is where he organized people that was on par of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Had a Dream March. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, he invited other people to speak who weren't part of the nation, but he was the organization that organized it and called people to it and people joined. So mm-hmm. we say that we have uh, the truth, that we believe we have people hawk. We believe in So instead of us wanting to run and join everyone else's effort, then let us in America, and then black America, let's establish something uh, uh, for ourselves is why I think the, the way forward for us. But, um, you know, we can't be uh, in order to share to the leaders, then we shouldn't be so quick to try to copy everyone else's methods mm. and everyone else's nomenclature and, and, and everyone else's um, uh, uh, 
means and methodology. Like, we shouldn't be too quick just to defend all of what they do yeah. if we see ourselves as being leaders. Right. So that, that brings me to another... Well, I want to comment first on um, what you said about Black Lives Matter, then bring it to another point, which is, I guess for me, what I see, and, and I'm sure you know better than me, and I don't know the Islamic adab and sort of what extent we can go to, but I guess sort of what I see from them in, for example, stopping the highway and no one can move it and drive or whatever is that for a very long time, then, in my opinion, a lot of the reason why racism still continues to exist and perpetuate is a lot of the silence of, quote-unquote, regular white people. So that if maybe they can, they can stop people in their tracks, so that when black people are dying, people aren't just going to work as usual, going to pick up the kids as usual, going to the grocery store as usual. But they're sort of bringing the movement in your face and forcing you to um, to just to be faced with it and to think about it. And to, even if all you are or, uh, is annoyed, you still are being forced to deal with it. Um, I guess I do see some value in that, but again, like you said, I don't know if if we have um, that that allowance in Islam. And I want to connect that to what I kind of see it happening in America, and I suppose what has always been happening um, is a kind of well, I shouldn't say what has always been happening. What it has turned into, in a sense is a kind of what they call guerrilla warfare. So it's like, it's not it's not an army, my army against your army. It's basically people who, happen, who are the police uh, every once in a while killing a black person. So it makes it very hard to fight against uh, an enemy when you don't really have a clear idea of what that is. And so doing these sort of random acts of standing on the highway and, and no one can move, it's kind of a way to fight this sort of invisible and hidden enemy, this force that we don't exactly know what's happening. It's this police here, this police there, this incident here. And it's not this one clear, we declare war and then we know who our enemy is. Um, so I, I think that is a part of the issue. And, um, well, let me get your response on that first. Does that make sense, what I'm saying, about uh, the possible usefulness of sort of just standing on the highway and no one can move? And uh, do you think that because of the way this uh, sort of attack on us is happening, that it maybe gives us an allowance to respond in unusual ways? Well, I believe in 100% agitation. And raising awareness, I, uh, I believe it's more so towards power and not just the regular people. Mm. But if we look at the psychology of people, uh, uh, does, does, uh, can we compel people to change what's in their hearts? Like, that's the real question, right? right. Like, if we boil it down, like, right. like, like, to do something that makes someone... Uh, agitated or to make someone mad at you at what you're doing when they feel like they're innocent or they're not like directly uh, complicit in what they're in, in what you're protesting mm. is that type of is that type of activism going to actually change your hearts and I would actually say and even and even talking to people about it I think actually it actually makes people upset and makes people actually shut down over the broader issue and, and makes people upset is what I would say the general uh, the general rule if we look at the prophets if we look at Nabi Muhammad or Nabi Musa or uh, Nabi Ibrahim or if we even look at the ex of of social change in the early history of the uh, of the Sharia of Muhammad, sallallahu mm -hmm. alayhi wa sallam, or Sa'id ibn Jubair, or Sa'id ibn Malik, Abu Hanifa, um, when they were trying to bring, bring about some transformation in their society, 
the, the major focus or the major thrust of their agitation was actually at the seat of power. It, mm. it, it, they, the, the, the average white man who, or white woman who's struggling in America, those mm. aren't the average people that are like uh, affecting uh, our lives on a day-to-day basis uh, institutionally in the United States of America or the, the systems are set up in place. It, it's really the people who hold power. I mean, these same power brokers, the same systems, even marginalized white people uh, who right. aren't uh, uh, in the upper echelon, they just have more privilege than we do. So I, I really, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that I have all the answers, but again, I really question, like, the forms of agitation. Like, I do believe in agitation. Mm-hmm. I do believe in raising voices. But I also believe that there can be some forms of agitation they're actually counterproductive and actually turn people away. And even in mm-hmm. black America, you will even find some people uh, who don't think that Black Lives Matter should, should be called terrorists, uh, who are passionate about um, the issue of police brutality and extrajudicial killings. But there are black folks who have been trying to get places to pick up their kids from school who are trying to get home, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, had a medical emergency, who've been stuck mm-hmm. on highways right in the city of Detroit and couldn't get where they needed to go and, and, and actually suffered some consequence mm-hmm. uh, and who are black people or brown people because people decided they were going uh, to close down the I, I don't I don't see the I don't see the hickma in that. Really mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. But a lot of Yeah. So we had recently um, two two black men who were former military people uh, kill cops, and I, I forget where the places are, but apparently they were affected by the killings of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. So something that uh, we're always told is, is black people in general and black po- protesters and the Black Lives Matter movement or whatever black movement is happening at whatever time, we're always told to be peaceful. Um, and one thing that, as a, as a Muslim, of course, I have to be against violence. I have to be against killing innocent people. At the same time, I think that if we believe the official story, of course, I think that people like Michael Johnson and this man named Cosmos, I think it's hard to continually tell black people who are angry, who maybe feel like they have nothing to lose, that they must not respond with violence to violence, especially when we're not just talking about black people being gunned down and killed, we're talking about black people being gunned down and killed and there being absolutely no consequences. So how, what is, what is it as Muslims that we can really say, or do we have something to say as to why we shouldn't respond to violence with violence? Um, well, you know, there is an argument that in order to, for people to understand, um, or comprehend what you're trying to say, you have to speak their language. And America right. is, a, is a country that was built upon violence, right? It was built upon genocide of Native Americans. It was built upon a very violent policy of child slavery and consequences for enslaved Africans who didn't comply or rebelled. And we can go on and on about the, you know, the history of this country that's, that's always been violent. I, 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 would also, I would argue to those people that... Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're always going to have some people who are disenchanted, who feel disenfranchised in society when you use violence, and not just black people. Right. Uh, you know, do we have people like uh, David uh, Horatio, Waco, Texas, uh, Timothy McVeigh? Like, you always have a group of people who, who feel disenfranchised, and right. for some reason they feel like they have the right to have weapons and take matters into their own hands. But we live in the most armed country on earth mm. with 
one of the most militarized police uh, set of police forces uh, on Earth with the world's most powerful military. And uh, for black people who think that they can get some guns and that they're going to overturn this system through violence, mm. uh, that they're going to bring about some change by fighting uh, this man uh, in those means in which we are so uh, undermanned and, and completely overwhelmed as far as force is not intelligent. Even if we believe that you can fight fire with fire, which, you know, I believe that, you know, there are, that, you know, you put out fire with water. But it is just from a strategy perspective, it is something untenable and it is completely unrealistic if, if, a, if another black people like, you know what, I'm going to stop this police brutality mm-hmm. and, you know, what's going on with us, I'm just going to go and shoot up some cops and that's mm-hmm. going to bring some change uh, to black folk in America. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't even see that as, as even a, um, a, a feasible way of even dealing with the problem. Right, and I, I think you made an excellent point about if things are so, if we really feel that things are so hopeless in America, they're not going to change, they're out to get us, it's just never ever going to get better, then we probably should leave. <laughs> because uh, even even when I was thinking is that, let's say Black America d- decided we're going to go on an all-out war with white people, what could really be the outcome in a sense? Because we're in a we're in a strange predicament. We always have been, where we've been taken to this foreign land. We're in someone else's land. So are we really going to convince anybody to give us a piece of land and we're gonna have a, a black America? And if we even did <laughs> sort of I know this is a very grim picture, but if we even did have a black America, what's to stop them from just going to war with us right after we think we've won? So it's it's sort of a... There's sort of no good way this can play out. And uh, I kind of think of the Prophet Sallallahu when he was living in Mecca and being oppressed. Then they didn't fight back, but they did fight back once they moved to Medina, once they had their own state. Then they declared, uh, a, I guess, a war against the Quraysh. But as as black people in America, I think we're probably in too strange of a predicament to be able to do that. Right, and also those people who were in Medina, they not only did they establish their own government, but they were bound together not based upon ethnicity or tribe, they were based upon faith in a transcendent being, Almighty exactly. God, yeah. and they were linked together based upon some uh, spiritual principles and values in which love of this dunya or getting some political power was not the goal, right? So mm-hmm. then, you know, within black America, the, the, the different... Uh, 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 agendas or the different ways in which people think they're going to get liberation and like what is the real objective of, of, right. of that right? right differs so much that we like like it's it, like, like like we're nowhere close to like being at the stage of like uh, like what the, the Sahaba way would do may Allah be pleased with them mm-hmm. once they got to the, the, the city of Medina and they were able to actually resist Mm-hmm. Uh, oppression with force. So, yeah, I, I agree uh, totally with that, that excellent point that you brought up. So I guess just to end it, um, could you give us some words of wisdom from Islam, from your own maybe life experience about how we can avoid in these times, especially with seeing so much of this on social media, with media, seeing the uh, videos and it being ever-present in our lives, uh, how can we avoid just sort of feeling very angry and feeling um, a level of hopelessness or or should we should we even avoid those feelings? Maybe we should channel it. But what should we do with those feelings of, of anger and hopelessness? 
I think the most important thing is to remember that Allah is always present and He is the one who is in control and He allows uh, these, uh, these tests or ibtila uh, to happen to us for a reason and it is for us to be connected more to Him, to have more tawakal and for mm-hmm. us to use uh, our akul or the intellects that he bestowed upon us, so that which makes us higher than the beasts and animals for us to restrain ourselves and for us to actually come up with some plans so that we can have these off, that we can have some sort of uh, organization. And we know the, the ayat of Quran where Allah says that Surely Allah will not change a people until they change what's inside themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's and him, right? So, like, it's, it's with inside their very psyches, inside their very souls. So there's some work that we need to do uh, on ourselves as people of faith. There's, there's some higher principles that we need to call uh, the American society to, and especially uh, African Americans in particular, that we need to call uh, them to. And then I also want to convey we should remember the te- the teachings within traditional Islam that if we want to, if our goal, and, our, and I believe our, and I say if, our goal is to, uh, to ascend to the highest levels of dignified life in this dunya and have goodness in this dunya and with the ultimate goal of, of Hopefully, getting Allah's mercy uh, mm-hmm. in the Akhirah to be entered to Jannah. That we, if we're going to ascend to the to the heights of, of Muslimin in this life, that we have to uh, ascend with with the, with the two wings, mm-hmm. like a bird has two wings ascending up to the heaven to the sky, of having that balance of hope as well as fear. Right, so. We, we, we have to, we have to uh, be uh, on guard, cautious, and be fearful of, of wanting to displease uh, our Lord to make sure that we stay strictly within the, the parameters of the Quran and Sunnah, including our adab, including our manners, right. but also being hopeful uh, that our conditions can change and having hope in Allah's mercy that if we... Uh, comply, if we uh, do that, that spiritual purification, if we strive towards Islam, that Allah is all-powerful and He can change our condition here, and uh, ultimately we will taste the the ultimate success bi'ithnillah ming our beloved Prophet Muhammad wasallam at the hold at the basin, drinking from his hand, receiving his intercession and hearing the the greeting that the people of paradise get uh, enter you my slave, enter you into my paradise and that is our ultimate aim and our ultimate goal and may Allah make us of those who are of the successful people of the Muslim in this dunya and Amen. make us of the Muslim in the akhirah I want to thank Imam Dawood Walid again for being on our podcast and if you want to share your thoughts with us, you can do so in the comments, whether on SoundCloud or on YouTube. Inshallah ta'ala, you can check out uh, writings from uh, Imam Dawood Walid at dawoodwalid.com. You can also find him on Facebook. Thank you for listening. Take care.